neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast. We're glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family, day by day and week by week. We're meeting online right now, but we normally meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can catch our weekly gatherings live by checking out our website at www.newgarden.church/online. We would love to hear from you. This week, Michael, that's me, provided a message from Josiah about turning to God when we've lost our way. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning, New Gardeners. I'm stoked that I get to be here with you this morning and share a little bit of a message with you today. Um, I just want to say first and foremost that I miss you and I, I miss you very much. And I hope that I'll get to be with you again in person soon. And uh, yeah, I miss you guys. Uh, before we get into it today, I would like to pray for us. So let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you have continually provided for us. Um, God, you've been faithful to us through what has been a very challenging year. Uh, God, I just ask that um, you continue to strengthen us because we believe that you will do amazing things through us. God, uh, thank you for this opportunity, and I just ask that you will speak um, anything that, that I say that's not from you. God, I just pray that it'll be in one ear and out the other. God, uh, all these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so once again, good morning. I think the first thing that I want to ask us that we can have on our minds today is this question. What do we do when we have lost our way? And I think on a personal level, we would think, Change. Change your ways. But what does it mean? What do we do when as a group we find that we have lost our way? And, you know, there's the church word that many of us would use, repent, meaning you're going one way, turn around 180 degrees the other way. Um, I think we have to ask a few questions when we find that we have lost our way. Number one, how did we get here? Number two, what do we do now? And number three, is it too late? These are the types of questions that we'll likely find ourselves asking in that type of situation. And I think that's similar to what we find in our story today, which is about a guy named King Josiah. But first, we have to backtrack so we know where we are in the story. So as we've been talking about over the last several weeks, after the Israelites, God delivered them from Egypt They wandered around in the wilderness for a generation, and then they entered into the land that God had promised them. Now, they called this land a land flowing with milk and honey, which meant that it was this fertile land that provided for them in abundance. And it is in this land that God establishes Israel as a nation. No longer were these people a nomadic group wandering from place to place. They had land. They had laws, and as we have learned more recently, they had kings, like the first king, King Saul, who he had a lot of potential, but he ended up not being the right guy for Israel. He let his his lust for power and control consume him, even trying to kill the Lord's anointed King David. Now, so once this young man who killed 
Goliath, David, became a mighty warrior, and eventually he became the king of Israel. And King David followed the ways of God, mostly. He earnestly desired to follow the ways of God. He wasn't perfect, but God used David to establish a kingdom of Israel that would foreshadow another kingdom, a more fuller kingdom, an inclusive kingdom that would be righteous, concerned first and foremost with justice and mercy initiated by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit of God. But we're not there in the story yet. We're still in old Israel today. So the kings of Israel after David, they they didn't live up to his legacy. David was succeeded as king by his son Solomon, and God gave him this immense wisdom. But Solomon allowed himself and subsequently the nation of Israel to be infiltrated by outside influences, including the worship of idols and other gods. So remember commandment number one of the 10 that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, on those stone tablets, right? Commandment number one, you should have no, you shall not have any other gods before me. And commandment number two, don't make idols. And despite his vast wisdom, Solomon busted up the first two commandments. And so following Solomon, things only got worse. And what was the kingdom of Israel was split into, into two, and it was two different kingdoms. In the north, there was the kingdom of Israel, and in the south, the kingdom of Judah. Now, every king in the north was bad. So we see God send these prophets, Elijah and Elisha, to the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're calling on the people to repent. They're talking to the kings, calling people to worship God alone. But it doesn't work. The people still continue to worship idols. The kings still continue to worship idols. And so although these prophets are performing these miraculous signs, The people of Israel continued to worship other gods, and eventually the northern kingdom was taken over by Assyria, and the people there were scattered. So the southern kingdom of Judah, they had a few good kings, but this was mostly not the case. Things got worse and worse and worse, and the state of the southern kingdom of Judah reaches a breaking point in chapter 21. The king of Judah, his name was Manasseh, what does he do? Well, We'll have to read it to believe it. So this is in 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed, He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced divination, saw omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole that he had made, and he put it in the temple 
of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors, if only they will be careful to do everything I command commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Okay, so let's sum that up. Manasseh, the king, he rebuilt altars to other gods that had been torn down and he made new ones. He worshiped sky gods. He built altars to other gods in the temple, the house of God. And he even sacrificed his own son. He sacrificed his own son in worship to these gods. Pretty terrible stuff. Understandably, at this point, God has had enough. The kingdom of Judah has reached the point of no return. They will see a similar fate to their brothers in the northern kingdom. So let's read on. Verse 10, the Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies. They have done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came out of Egypt until this day. So I would say it would be putting it mildly to say that things are not looking good for the Israelites. They aren't even at a crossroads. They are past the point of no return. What God says is true, and God has said that they've got some bad stuff coming for them. Would you want to be the king of Judah at this point? I know that I sure wouldn't. So after Manasseh, his son Ammon becomes king, but he's only the king for two years before he is killed. And then Ammon's son Josiah becomes king. And he is literally eight years old when he becomes king. So I can see how, as a reader, we should have no hope for this eight-year-old king who has become the king of this nation that is on a freeway to destruction. Okay, we should have no hope for this, this little guy who has become king. But Josiah will become one of the few good kings of Judah. So here's the story. In the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, he's about 26 at this point, okay? 8 plus 18, 26. He sends one of his secretaries to the temple to handle some financial affairs regarding the temple, which they had been renovating. And you know when you're moving and you just start like finding all sorts of things that you didn't even know that you had anymore? Like you find a photo album from 20 years ago. You find your old high school yearbooks. You find a, a trinket that you bought on vacation that you literally haven't seen or thought about since. Well, Imagine that type of discovery times a million. So the priest at the temple tells King Josiah's secretary, you're never going to believe what I found. I found the book 
of the law, the Torah in the temple. So as we know it, this is them finding Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, a.k.a. the only texts that they would have had that are in our Bibles today. So this is crazy. I don't even know if I could say it in a way that would make us all understand how crazy this is. Imagine losing that and then finding it. You know, I'm sure many of us have misplaced a Bible in our lifetime at some point. I know that as a kid growing up, I would always have some adult coming and, you know, handing me a Bible that is mine saying, hey, young man, I found this on the playground or in the gym or wherever. And so that's understandable. But when you only have one copy in the world, you would think you'd be a little bit more careful. So let's talk about the implications of this for just a second. This means that everything they knew about how to follow God had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. God spoke through God spoke through prophets. But like the average person might not have been able to hear the prophets. They might not have come through their village. So clearly, based on what we've recapped so far, the people of Israel were not doing a good job of passing down their faith from generation to generation. Things were wild. There were idols in God's temple. Child sacrifice, the whole deal. So this part of the story just makes me think of this little one offshoot. It is this. What are we passing down through the generations? If the future generations follow down the road that we are headed, will they be closer to God or will they be farther away? If the future generations mirror our priorities, what will their relationship with God be like? That's something we have to think about. And so as we talked about at the very beginning, Josiah finds himself as the leader of the people of God who have way lost their way. So what does he do now? Let's keep reading in chapter 22, verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He's distraught. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Agbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book and what has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who is the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem. Okay, Holda lives in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book of the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. 
because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. From there, Josiah goes on a rampage. He has all the idols in the temple destroyed. He has all of the idols throughout Jerusalem destroyed and all the way throughout the kingdom of Judah. Josiah takes this seriously. He gets rid of everything. You can read all through the chapter about Josiah just going from one place to another, telling people to go here, telling people to go here, and get rid of all of the idols. So let's pick back up in verse 21. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant, neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. The crazy thing is, is that it was literally too late and Josiah still did everything in his power to rid this land of idols. It was literally too late. It wasn't even too little too late. It was just too late. God had already decided to abolish the kingdom of Judah. So God holds off for a generation after Josiah But then the Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem and place the Israelites in captivity. So now all the Israelites are in captivity. So what does this story have to do with us as the people of God now? You know, we don't build statues to worship. Christianity doesn't have kings to worry about. I haven't heard of any child sacrifice. I think the key issue that Israelites were facing, that Josiah addressed, was that they had allowed all these other things to clutter and cloud their lives. Yes, these things were literal other small g gods. But when we think about what we allow to clutter our relationship with God, what do we think about? When we actually take a hard look at our priorities, what do we find? And I want to be clear that when I say us, I mean churches, Christians, our church, and other churches, the people of God. I'm not talking about the United States right now. I always have to remind myself that when we read about Israel, 
Israel is a nation, but first and foremost, they are the people of God. When we read about Israel or the king of Israel, the parallel isn't the U.S. and the president of our country. It's Christians. It's us. That said, I do find that maybe the most common thing that clutters and clouds our views of God is the affairs in our country. I don't mean to say that there's never a time for Christians to step in and give a voice uh, to something that, that bends towards truth and justice, but I think many of us, myself included, we have to fight this temptation to let earthly power structures invade the structure of our faith. In this heavily partisan society, it's hard to go on the internet without seeing Christians throwing stones at each other over politics. And I don't navigate that space perfectly. And I'm sure many of us don't know how to navigate that space. I'm sure someone out there has it all figured out. You can let us know. So while we don't have physical idols in our temple, sometimes I think we make idols out of flags or leaders. I think we make idols out of money. I think we think if I could just afford that thing or this thing, I would be content. If I could provide for my family in this way, like that person does, then I would be content. We make idols out of power and influence and control. Far too often I've seen churches become a battleground for people who badly want to gain control over others. One thing that we probably don't talk about enough is the clutter of exclusivity that can so easily cloud our church spaces. We have this beautiful God-given desire to connect with our friends, but sometimes that turns into someone else feeling like an outsider. And that's the thing we're talking about with idols that I want to make clear. These are things that arise out of a God-given desire that the enemy has twisted for the opposite. These good things, community involvement, providing for our families and leadership, they turn into lusts for extremes of those desires. That's what the enemy does. Since the garden, God has been providing for us and putting these good desires inside of us, and the enemy has been twisting them. And so while we don't have little gold calves in our worship spaces, I hope that we can recognize some places among us that might need some reform. It was too late for Josiah. Israel was still completely scattered within a few generations. But it is not too late for us. God is in the process of making all things new. It will never be too late for us because God has provided a way. That is great news. God's mercies are new every single morning, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make positive change. That is beautiful. And every Sunday morning as we gather together, we remember this as we eat bread and we drink wine or grape juice or whatever you have on hand. These things symbolize Jesus' body and blood to us. We remember that Jesus came to earth, he lived, he died, and he came back to life. We take this memorial with us both inside of our bodies but on the front of our minds as we go into the next week in the world that we may be more like Jesus at home, on the road, and around town. This is why we come to the table. So I'll pray for us and then we will.
get to it. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, everyone who is watching wherever they are. God, I just ask that um, you will provide for us in this next week. God, help us to trust that you are a providing God. And God, help us to see the places in our lives that things want to pull us away from a full 100% focus on you. God, I just ask that uh, you will be with us this week as we take uh, this communion together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.